One summer I was serving here as a counselor for our My Summer Rocks camp and I was in charge of a group of five and six year olds and it was nothing but sheer chaos. I mean, I was challenged to a taco eating competition at one point. I chased kids all over the garden and all over the building. I uh, had to explain at one point why hitting each other while Pastor Justin isn't looking is a bad idea. It was sheer chaos, but for every chaotic moment, there were some really deep, meaningful conversations and even some eye-opening conversations for myself. One of those happened after a lesson. I was giving a little mini sermon and one of the students interrupted me and he said, Justin, what do you do for work? And I replied, I'm a pastor here at Centennial Road Church. And he kind of thought about it for a little bit. And then he looked at me and he asked, what's a pastor? That was the first time I had been asked that question, but it certainly hasn't been the last. And I've been asked from all kinds of people, what is a pastor? And I found that that question, it has much deeper implications than just wanting to know what I do day to day as a pastor. In fact, I think it's indicative of a shift that's been happening for decades in our culture. Think about it, 60 to 70 years ago, that would have been a, an odd question to ask somebody because the church played such a prominent and upfront role in, in society. If you go back 70 years, the average church attendance in Canada was 70%. 70% of people attended church weekly, which meant they were very familiar with what a pastor did, what a church did, who Christianity was as a faith. But then fast forward a few decades, and that number has dropped from 70% to 10% or less. 10% or less of Canadians attend church weekly. And as the unfamiliarity has grown, not only with pastors, but with the Christian faith, I think many people are asking this question, not, not only what is a pastor, but what is a Christian? Especially in 2021. What is a Christian in the face of one of the most polarizing eras of our time? What, what does it mean to be a, a Christian when one Christian group claims one political party over the other, or they claim one political spokesperson as their own? What does it mean to be a Christian in the face of racial and social injustice? What does it mean to be a Christian in a worldwide pandemic where some people are saying, you have to mask, don't mask, open, close, pro-vaccine, anti-vax? See, I think as time has gone on, we've been asking this question with society. What does it mean to be Christians in a, in a society that doesn't know what it means to be Christian? You know, lucky for us, we're not the first people to struggle with this. In fact, we've been in a series on the book of James. And the past two weeks, we've been looking at this exact question because the book of James, it was a letter written to the, one of the very first churches in Jerusalem. So they've never done this church thing before. And to top it off, I can't help but draw parallels between that time period and today. It was politically polarizing. I mean, you had the Roman Empire occupying Israel, and with it came corruption, social injustice, racial injustice, poverty. Historians describe it as, as this violent and, and volatile time period. There were revolts, there were uprisings. And in the middle of all of this comes this new movement called Christianity. 
Now, they've never done church before. I mean, this is the, one of the first churches. They've never had communion or small groups. And, and it seems that in the face of this polarizing era, they're asking the same question that we're asking today. What does it mean to be a Christian in a society that doesn't know what it means to be a Christian? If you haven't listened to week one and week two yet, I'd encourage you to do that. Go check it out on Facebook or YouTube. It'll give you some context for how we land here today. We're in chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 3 takes an interesting turn. This is what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every way. We can make a large house go, or a large horse, go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Now, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. It seems like the early Christian church had an issue with the way they were speaking to others or about others. Maybe it was the the Roman soldiers that occupied their territory. Maybe, Maybe it was Caesar himself and they would hurl insults or they would have negative things to say behind the Roman guards' backs. Or maybe it was just their neighbors, their fellow Jews, or or their fellow church members. Whatever the case is, James makes a strong, strong push so that they know that the words that they use have significant power to give life or to take it. A simple example of this, the other day, Henry uh, woke up, he's my three-year-old. The other day, Henry, my three-year-old, woke up in the middle of the night and he was crying because he had a scary dream about monsters. And so I offered to sing a song to him to, to make him feel better. And so I asked him what he wanted me to sing, and he said, You are my sunshine. So I started with verse one You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. Really encouraging, comforting lyrics, right? Like I just saw his eyes begin to close and his shoulders relax as he fell asleep. And then I don't know if it, if it was the fact that it was 2 a.m. in the morning and I just wasn't thinking or what was happening. But I went on to verse 2. The other night, dear, while I lay sleeping, I dreamt I held you inside my arms. So far, so good. When I awoke, dear, I was mistaken, so I hung my head and cried. I mean, like I saw his eyes opening up wider. I could tell it was not doing the job of putting him to sleep. And needless to say, I had to sing a few more songs to him 
before he actually fell asleep. That's a, a simple nursery rhyme example. But it shows how, how even those words, they, they have the power to comfort or distress. They have the power to be loving and encouraging or cold and sad. Words have power to give life or to take it. And many of you have experienced the power of words. Maybe you've experienced the life-giving power of words. You know, you had a family member or a neighbor or someone, a pastor, who just encouraged you. They told you how proud they are of you and how much they love you and, and how much they believed in your future. And that got deep inside your bones and it changed the trajectory of the way you lived your life because the, those words poured life into you. And then there are those of us who've experienced words being used as weapons. Maybe it was a, a family member. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a high school bully or a stranger. They said that thing, called you that name, and it was so poignant and so direct that it just got into your soul and, and you've been carrying it with you years and years later. It's affected the way you think, the way you live, Words, they have the power to give life or to take it. And we know this to be true. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can look back on the past few years, maybe months, maybe even this week, where we have not used our words to give life, but to take it. Maybe it, it was your, your spouse. Maybe it, it was your kid. I mean, maybe it was a neighbor, maybe it was a stranger, and, and you used a phrase or some passive-aggressive statement or, or a name, and it was like this, the scripture says, it was like a spark in a forest. It just wreaked destruction and havoc on that person. I'm curious, how do you use your words? Do you use them to give life or to take it? In fact, maybe we can expand it not just to the things that we say, but the things that we type. The things we put on social media, the, the things we text to a friend or, or we email. I'm curious, do you argue with strangers online? Do you belittle people with different political views than your own? Do you talk negatively or disparagingly about people who aren't from this area? I mean, let's just say, for example, someone from another province like Quebec. And you're like, no, but Justin, you don't get it. You don't know the history. You don't know who these people are. But I, I, I may not know that, but I do know that Scripture says they're made in the image of God. How do you speak to your spouse or about your spouse to others? How do you speak to your kids? What words do you use with coworkers? Do you gossip behind their backs? Are you encouraging? Is your, is your go-to nature critical? How do you speak to your church and your fellow church members? You're like, yeah, but you don't get it. You, you just don't get it. Like my family, my spouse, they do this thing all the time and it drives me crazy. Or, or my kid, they just won't listen. Or my coworker, they just, they don't get it. And maybe they don't, but they're still made in the image of God. Verse 9 says this. 
Sometimes our tongue praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. We live in this time period that is more polarized and, and volatile than ever before. And, and we live in this time period where, where we've begun taking sides. And usually we take the good side, which is your preferred side or, or point of view. And anybody else who doesn't must be evil. It plays out in politics, what side you're on. It plays out in this pandemic, what you believe about masks or don't believe about masks or what you believe about vaccines or opening or closing. It plays out as we look at the racial injustice that still exists. And so many of us have jumped at the opportunity during this time period to criticize and ostracize those we deem as our enemies. And I think somewhere along the way, as the body of Christ, we've forgotten this basic truth that every single person, every single person is made in the image of God. Conservative, liberal, anywhere in between, pro-mask, anti-mask, all for the vaccine, wherever you stand on the, the issue of racial injustice, every single person is made in the image of God. So what does it mean to be a Christian in a society that doesn't know what it means to be Christian? It means that we use our words to give life, not to take it. Put it simply, if you claim Jesus as Lord of your life, he needs to be Lord of your lips too. If you claim Jesus as Lord of your life, he needs to be Lord of your lips too. Maybe I can nuance that a little bit. If you claim Jesus as Lord of your life, he needs to be Lord of your iPhone, your social media, your keyboard, too. Hannah and I have a, a bunch of plants at home, and I have to be honest, I haven't taken great care of them. Uh, I haven't gotten them the water or the sunlight they need. They've been shriveling and dying up. And a few weeks ago, I decided I'm going to make a change. I'm going to get these plants healthy. And so I, I put the cactus and our aloe plant and a few succulents up in the window, started watering them every day, made sure they got their sun. But even though I was doing this diligently for, for weeks on end, really, they kept dying. They, they kept shriveling up and kept getting worse. And so I had to do some research. And I came to find out that the issue wasn't the amount of sunlight or water at this point, the issue was the soil that they were planted in. See, the soil I was using was the original soil that it came in, soil that I, I got years ago. It was dried, it was cracked, there was no nutrients in it. And it wasn't until I put fresh, brand new soil into the pot and replanted those plants that they began to grow that they began to sprout up and extend their branches and, and cross-pollinate amongst the other pots. You know, our words are a lot like a plant. If they're healthy, if they're giving life, 
It's an indication that they're rooted in something healthy, a, a healthy heart. But if your words, if they speak death over people, if they don't give life, it's a lot like a plant in a pot of old soil. No matter what you try to do, it will never grow. It will never produce life until you change the soil. See, if we want to tame our tongue, we first have to allow God to change our hearts. If we want to tame our tongue, we have to allow God to change our hearts. So what do we do? I think first off, starting this week, we create time and space to change the soil, so to speak, to allow God to change our hearts. This is a process called sanctification, of being made pure from the inside out, having your motives and, and your desires transformed and, and changed. And this is something that's a lot like watering a plant and giving it sunlight. It's something that has to happen every single day or the plant will not eventually live. The first thing we do is we allow God to change our hearts. And I just encourage you this week to pray this prayer that, that God would mercifully expose those areas in your life that aren't lining up with who he wants you to be. We will never tame our tongue unless we first allow God to change our hearts. So we start there. Second, I want to challenge you this week as you're allowing God to change your heart in this process to speak life into three different people groups. Number one, speak life into a family member. Encourage them. Let them know how much you love them, how much you appreciate them. Speak life into their life. Second, speak life into a friend's life. Maybe it's a, a neighbor, a coworker, someone you see here at, at church. Speak life into them. Let them know how grateful you are for them, that you're praying for them, that you see an exciting future for them because of who God made them to be. Speak life. And third, speak life into a stranger's life. I mean, this might be the taxi driver, someone on the street, someone you pick up food from at the grocery store or restaurant. Let them know that you're praying for them, that you're grateful for them. Let them know how much you appreciate who they are and what they're doing. Speak life into every and every circumstance. When I was in university, I was taking my first preaching class. And by about the halfway point of the semester, I was feeling incredibly discouraged. I just felt like, man, I'm not cut out to do this thing for public speaking. I mean, I would either speak too fast or too slow or stumble over my words. It just, it wasn't clicking. And I was so discouraged. I just felt like, man, I just can't wait for this class to be over because I can't seem to hack it. But one day, my, my professor took me aside and he said, Justin, I see in you the gift of preaching. You have it inside of you, and if you work hard at it, if you take the time to really cultivate this, I believe that you can go on and you can do great things with the gift that God has given you. There was no reason for him to really say that in that moment in my mind. But that was a statement, that was a, a couple of words that spoke life into my life such that from that point on, I was determined to use the gift that God had given me, even though I didn't totally see it. 
and cultivate it and have it grow and become something that could, that could give life into other people, into other communities. His simple words brought so much life into me. Can you imagine what would happen if as a church body, we started speaking life into any and every situation here in Brockville, into, into the lives of our families, in, into our neighborhoods, in, into the, just meeting a stranger on the street. Can you imagine the change that would begin to happen in, in our kids as they would see parents leading who, who love the Lord deeply, who are allowing God to change their heart and, and who are not pursuing selfish ambition but are speaking life into every situation? Can you imagine the pastors that would be raised up, the, the bivocational people who would go on to lead in, in different environments, in CEO environments, at the grocery store, at Starbucks? Can you imagine the change that would begin to spread in this community if we all spoke life? May we be a people, Sea Road, who speak life into any and every situation, into the lives of our family, our friends, and strangers believing that God is going to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Go this week in speaking life. God, we thank you for who you are. I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would mercifully expose those areas in our lives that aren't lining up with who you've called us to be, and that you would enable us and empower us to make change even today, but not without your help. God, may our words that we use in, in random conversations, online, and, and just speaking to others, may they be tools that give life to each individual they come in contact with. God, we believe you can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. We pray all this in your name. Amen.